Dear congregation, <clears throat> there was a time here in Canada when the Sundays were quiet, when there was no stores open, when there was no trucks hauling goods down the road. And that was because in 1888, in Canada, the Lord's Day Alliance, which was a coalition of, of Presbyterian and Baptist and Methodist and Anglican churches who all came together to lobby for a law that mandated a day of rest. And then in 1907, the Lord's Day Act was made here in Canada that prohibited any commercial activity on the Lord's Day. England already had one in the 17th century, something similar. And so that began here in Canada in 1907. But it ended in 19. 85, when the Supreme Court of Canada deemed it wrong because it forced both Christians and non-Christians to adhere to Christian moral law. And so they saw it as a moral law issue. But ever since then, the Lord's Day observance has been in a steady decline, not only outside but also inside the churches as the churches follow the culture. Unbelievers naturally oppose and resist the laws of God because they do not want to submit to God. We know that if there's no recognition of God, then there's also no recognition or submission to His laws. And we see this in so many things in our society. There's a constant battle between the biblical moral perspective, the moral views, as opposed to the humanistic views. And we can see that playing out in front of us in our own world. But that same battle lives in our hearts because we're all born with enmity to God and enmity to any subjection or submission to His Word. But as Christians, we acknowledge that God has the ultimate authority and that He has designed and created everything including his laws and including the Lord's Day. And he's done so for a specific purpose. And in the other sermons, we considered how God created the Sabbath day for us to observe. He had given us a commandment to observe it. And we also saw how in redemption, he makes his people willing and able to observe his commandments, where he gives them a new heart and a new desire and a love to see the good and the beauty of the law and the need for the law. And so there must be a good reason why God commands us to keep the Lord's day holy, as we will look at today. And once again, our theme is simply, remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. If we look again at uh, chapter 58 of Isaiah, as we read, And if we look at verses 13 and 14, we read, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
In this chapter, we read about the Jews and how they were not benefiting from the Sabbath. They, they were looking for, for God's blessing, and, but they were not receiving it. In verses 1 and 2, it says that they, it shows that they had a strong, formal, outward religion. They were, they were fasting. But in verses 3, they complained because it was like God never heard them. They, they were not seeing God's help, God's answer. And it says they were fasting, but they were using fasting and religion as a way even to manipulate God to get what they wanted. They were, they were so focused on their form and on um, what they were doing. And so they were not resting in God on the Sabbath day, but they were resting in their own religious works and looking for what they could get out of it. And this is where we need to examine ourselves as well. What are we resting in? If we begin with that question, what are we resting in? What are we looking to achieve on the Sabbath day? Because if we come to church and we do everything that we're supposed to do, and we begin to think, well, I've done my duty now, now uh, God should surely bless me. Or even if we simply rest from our work and we use the Sunday to turn to other enjoyable activities to find our rest in them, whether it be reclining in a, in a lounge chair all day or if it be doing a round of golf, if that's what you find relaxing, um, is that where you find your rest or your relaxation? Because then you have totally missed the purpose of the Sabbath day. These Jews are very busy even in their religious activities and they still miss the true Sabbath rest because they're resting in their own activities. And so as we look at this passage, we need to notice here this conditional statement that he gives in verses 13 and 14. There's a condition and a promise. Verse 13 begins, if, and verse 14 begins, then. It's saying if we stop doing our own pleasure on a day of, that God has set apart to be holy, if we honor God and delight in the Sabbath, he says, then God promises to feed your soul. Now to understand this, we also need to remember where and how God has given his commandments. He gave his commandments in the context of the covenant of grace. Now, children, a, a, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. And there's, there's an agreement and there's, it has conditions. There's obligations to be met and there's rewards. And so if we look at when God gave the commandments, he gave them to Israel after he brought Israel out of Egypt, after he redeemed Israel out of Egypt. And so this is a picture of God giving especially his commandments to his people in the context of redemption. And that means that we don't keep the commandments in order to be saved. But we must, but obedience to the commandments is only possible because God saves his people. And that is what, why he gives it to them after taking them out of Egypt. That's the first thing. The second thing is that God made a covenantal relationship with them. 
That's why we read at the beginning of the commandments where God says, I am the Lord your God. He says, I am your God and you are my people. That's what he told Israel and that's what he tells you as a covenant a community. And then thirdly, because of that relationship, God also provides his regulations to govern you in that relationship. Nothing can run without rules and guidelines. And here is where it also follows up with, with the promises and rewards. So you can see this all needs to tie together, not for salvation, but because of salvation. And he says in Deuteronomy 5, keep my commandments that it may be well with us and with our children. And so, verses 13 and 14 here, it says, If we turn away our foot from doing our own pleasure on the holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, that is, we are to, to hold the Sabbath day in high esteem and to honor God, then there are promises that God gives. And so I want to think about this principle as we listen this morning from this text, we must stop resting in everything else so that we can rest in God. And to try to understand what that means, let's take another look at the actual commandments. Because in these commandments, we see two specific things. God commands us to rest, and God commands us to keep the Sabbath day holy. Exodus 20 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you have to work. On the seventh day, you must do no work. God created us to work. That's a blessing from paradise, to be able to work. And he gives us six days to do that faithfully. So he he created everything in a seven-day framework. We must work six days faithfully and rest the seventh day. And what a blessing that is that God has given us that one day to rest. And this world continues even if we are not working seven days. God, we, in, in Exodus 20, he shows that we have to, work, have to rest in his creation work. As God rested, God finished his work of creation. We have to rest in God in that sense. But in Deuteronomy 5, God, he, he continues... And here he says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded and do no work. But this time we must rest from our work to rest to remember that God delivered us from our sin. So here we are called to rest in God's finished work of redemption through Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ finished that work of salvation, that work of redemption on the cross when he, when he said, it is finished. And he himself also entered into his rest. He entered into the heavenly glory. And God calls us to, to rest in that finished work of redemption in Jesus Christ. Resting by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this also is a, is a picture of the doctrine of, of justification. That is, we are saved by grace through faith alone. And so we, we covered that briefly, or we covered that last time. But what's clear from these two commandments is that we, we must rest 
and we must keep the day holy. And these two things work together. And we cannot keep it holy if we do not rest. So if you think, if you're going on vacation, what do you do? You need to stop your work in order to go on vacation. You need to, you need to lock up your office and you need to take out your tent. You need to put away your computer so you can take up your fishing rod if that's what you do. Because if you take your work along with you to your vacation, your wife will say, you're not resting. If your mind is continually filled with, with work when you're on vacation, you're not engaging with your family. So you need to disengage from your work in order to engage with the activities in, in the other. And the same holds true for the Lord's Day. You rest from every weekly activity so that you can pick up the Lord's Day's activities. You disengage from this activity, this work, so that you can be fully engaged in the activities of the Sabbath. You rest from the one so you can rest in the other. And so what do we rest from? Now the commandments that we looked at lays out the basic principle. We, we rest from our work. We must work diligently those six days so that we can rest on the seventh. And God makes that clear that he commands everyone to rest, whether you be an owner, whether you be a servant, whether you be a child or an animal. Everyone must rest on the seventh day. And the only exception is works of necessity and works of mercy. Emergency vehicles, first responders, law enforcement, such like, they must continue, they must work. Farmers need to feed their animals, and plumbers need to fix water leaks. But the only works of necessity. But it is not, the rest is not limited to work. But we must rest from everything that hinders us from resting in the Lord. We must rest from everything that would hinder us from resting in the Lord. And as with every commandment, they all drill down to our very hearts and minds. Because we can be sitting here in church, but if our minds are planning our work for the week, or if we are dreaming about a sports game, or if we're fantasizing about sin, then you are not observing the Sabbath. You are not resting in God. Where your desire is, there will your heart be also. And this, just like the Jews in this chapter, they were there in body, in activity, but not in spirit. And so like the Catechism explained, we have to lay aside, we have to cease from both our evil works and our good works. And... We must rest from everything that can even be good and acceptable during the week. We must rest from everything even good and acceptable during the week, such as sports or recreation, so that we can observe the Sabbath day. Because if we rest only from our job, from our work, but we replace our work with anything else, then we're still replacing God. The Jews replaced their work with extreme formal fasting. They were resting in their activities of fasting 
And that became their new God. Yes, fasting can be good, but not if it's replacing God. If we replace our work with our recreations, then that is what we are looking to find our rest in. That is where we're looking for our happiness. That's where we are looking for our refreshment. And that then replaces God. And if we use the time for our own entertainment and pleasure, we're not resting in the Lord. And that's why it's so important what we do on the Lord's Day. What are we filling our time with? And this is what Isaiah 58 shows in verse 13. It says, we must turn away our foot. That means we must guard ourselves on the Sabbath day. And it says, how do you do that? It says, stop doing your own pleasure on my holy day. We must honor, call the Lord the day honorable. We must consider the Sabbath a delight. How do we do that? First of all, by not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words. So first of all, the focus is on what you stop doing. But here it's also important to notice that resting on the Sabbath day is not just idleness. We can't just stop and do nothing. We can't leave a void. We can't only stop work because what then? It's not, like I said earlier, just spending a day in a hammock or sitting on the step just staring at a soccer ball because you're not supposed to do anything. If you don't do anything, you'll become bored. If you are not allowed to do anything, you'll begin to hate the Sabbath day. You'll see no purpose for it. And then you begin automatically to fill it up with other things. So we cannot do nothing because we are called to keep the Sabbath day holy. But we must always remember this. We must rest from the one so that we can rest in God. And this is where sometimes people ask the the wrong questions. They ask, what's wrong with doing this or doing that on Sunday? But then the focus is on the this or the that instead of on God and what you could be doing. Our question should be, how can I free up my time? How can I free up my heart and my mind so that I can rest in God alone as much as possible today? And that's also why so many families uh, have the practice that on Saturday to to work hard and to tidy up and to prepare the food and prepare everything is necessary so that they can go to bed at night knowing that nothing will hinder them. Nothing will prevent them from being able to observe the Sabbath in that way. There's nothing unnecessary that remains to be done on Sunday. And so how do we keep it holy? Well, first we rest from in order to keep it holy we the resting must be for that specific purpose of resting in the lord because as i said if we are not resting in the lord then we are resting in something else which would then replace god and if we replace god even in our minds we have already violated the first commandment as well as the fourth And so God commands us to keep this day set apart. And that's what holy means. It's a day that he has set apart. And so verse, verse 13 says we must call the Sabbath a delight. That means we must consider the Lord's Day as, as the source of our joy, 
as the source of our satisfaction, uh, that, that God has given it to us for our eternal good and our eternal welfare. This, this must be the place where we go for our, for our source of joy. And so we must honor God, it says, on the Lord's day. And that means we must hold it in a very high esteem, knowing the purpose of what God has given it to us for. We must put a high value on this. And so that begins then, as the commandments say, it begins with the physical rest. We as humans do need physical rest for mind, body, and soul. And that is part of the Sabbath rest. To be refreshed again, to take up our work. But it must be done in such a way to remove ourselves from our earthly treasures. But then secondly, the Lord's Day is especially intended for our spiritual rest. And this I come back to the point that we must rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because not only is it a blessing to be able to stop work for one day out of seven and to realize that this world keeps going, but what a blessing it is to be able to stop in one day in seven and to really Rest in the fact that, the, that your salvation does not depend on your work. That you could never earn your salvation even if we had to work in eternity for it. And this is where Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Here your delight is in that finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is especially on the Lord's day that, that, that God gives for you to delight in this specifically. And this is given as a, as a little foretaste of what eternal glory is to be. Of resting, of the eternal rest that God gives His people. Something that we could not earn, something that we could not work for, but that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has obtained for his people. But then thirdly, it is your delight because this is then that source of joy. This is where the Lord gives you that specific opportunity to draw near to God, where you're not hindered by your earthly activities, where because during the week you can be so busy from the rising of the sun to the going down of the sun, you, you work and work, and where do you have time to set aside really for devotions and, and such? But here God has given you a special day. And the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 38, says that we yield ourselves to the Lord to work by His Holy Spirit in me. And here, if we realize that we depend on God for our salvation, 100% for our justification in the work of the Lord Jesus alone, that even our sanctification, we are 100% dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit through us. Then we begin to see our need for God's Spirit. Because we know that we cannot overcome a single sin in our own strength. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to kill that sin. We cannot produce the fruits of our spirit ourselves because it's the fruits of the spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us to give us the fruits of patience and kindness and long-suffering and patience in the trials that we face. 
We need His Holy Spirit. And so your desire then is to submit yourself, to yield yourself, it says, to submit ourselves to the work of God's Spirit. And where does He work specifically with the Spirit? It's in the public worship service under the preaching of His Word. That's where God says He is pleased to work. And that's fourthly. So you delight then in the means of the grace of grace that God has given. The means that God has instituted specifically for the strengthening of your faith. First Corinthians one twenty one says it's that through the foolishness of preaching that God is pleased to save those who believe. Here God has instituted the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper to strengthen your faith. Here is where we, we come together to pray together as a body. Here we come together to, to give our gifts for the, for the needs of the, of the poor. And so the catechism says here we diligently frequent, we diligently come to the Lord's house. This is the means that God has given to, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to reprove you, to correct you, to guide you. This is where he says he's pleased to come together with, to dwell in your midst in a special way that you don't have in your homes, that you don't have as, as you are in your private devotions, but in a special way. God says he delights in the courts of his house. And to willingly neglect the public worship service is to say to God that you do not want what he has to give, but that you have something that is more important to you than himself. That what you can get is enough. And that you can do without any more of him or his people. But here God says, stop doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. Call it your source of joy. Because you need to ask then, if this is not your source of joy, then what is? What is replacing God in your life? And here he warns us in Hebrews 10 verse 25, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in public worship. And the reason he gives that warning in Hebrews 10 is because that is the first step of leaving God and his church altogether. And it's your eternal soul that God has in mind here. It is for your soul that he gives you these means. It is for your eternal welfare that he calls you to come to him with his people. Do not forsake what God has so lovingly given to you. Then it extends past, beyond the public worship service, in private and in family worship. God calls us to worship Him in secret as well as public. And God calls especially the fathers to lead your families in family worship. In Malachi 2, God says that the unfaithfulness in the church begins with unfaithfulness in the families and at home. And this duty is especially laid upon the fathers, the leaders, the representatives of the home. Because if we as fathers do not observe the Lord's day, we're not only responsible for breaking it ourselves, but then we hinder and we prevent 
our family from keeping the Lord's Day holy. And God holds us uh, responsible for that. And God makes it very clear that we must not hinder the little children from coming to Him. That it is better for a millstone to be tied on our neck and to be cast into the depths of the sea rather than hinder a child from coming to God. He calls us to observe the Lord's Day in our homes and the public worship will follow. Because if our children are hindered because of us, what will they have to say against us on the Day of Judgment? Remember the souls of your children and those whom God has set you in authority over. But then also, sixthly, we keep this Lord's Day holy through acts of mercy. Delight yourself in serving others. Just as Christ came not to be served, but to serve. The Lord Jesus demonstrated by his actions that the Sabbath day was not about outward formality like the Pharisees observed, but about active service and ministry of mercy as God requires. The Lord Jesus healed the sick. And if you have ever had the opportunity to, to do uh, prison ministry or street evangelism or, or even individual uh, um, ministry to others, reaching out to a neighbor, uh, seeing someone in the park who, who looks downcast and burdened and, and speaking to them, you never regret it. So often I've had something lined up in the evening and I said, oh, I'm so tired, I don't know if I should go. But, and I always went and I was never disappointed. I never regretted having gone. It's always refreshing when the Lord helps and enables you to minister to others, whether it's on the Lord's Day or even during the week. And this is what God is addressing here in Isaiah 58. The people who were fasting and being formal in the religion were guilty of oppressing the poor workers. God says in Isaiah 58 verse 6, this is what true fasting is. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the heavy burdens. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. Feed the hungry. Bring the poor and the outcast into your house. Clothe the naked. And then verse 8 says, Then, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Then, verse 9, the Lord will answer you. Then, verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. Remember that conditional clause that started in verse 13 here. If you turn away your foot from doing your own pleasure, my holy day, and call it a delight, then, verse 14, you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here's a promise we can't get into for time here, but this is, the, look what the Lord gives to his people. This is the unchangeable promise of God. Then you will find your satisfaction in the Lord when you use His holy day for what He has given it to you specifically for. Is that what you desire? Because then we don't ask, well, is one service enough? Can I do this or that on the Sunday? What's wrong with, with this? Those are all the wrong questions. You're coming from the wrong angle. Jeremiah 2 says, My people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In our material world and in the culture that we live, we're so quickly satisfied with wells that we, that we dig ourselves, but they cannot hold any true water. We replace God with anything and everything, but we find no true satisfaction there. But here God shows where His living water comes from. And then we begin asking different questions. Then we start asking, am I resting from everything so that I can rest in God alone? So that I can know Him? So that I can commune with Him? If He says He's my God and I'm His, then we need to know Him so that He will answer me So that He will be to my complete satisfaction for my soul. Do we find that satisfaction? And then for everything that we do or do not do on the Sunday, we will ask ourselves, will this rest or will this activity bring me closer to God? Will this give the rest and satisfaction for my soul, not only for my body? Am I resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Am I honoring Him for what He has done and not just using it for my own pleasure? And then we'll begin to seek God every way possible from the whole day, from the morning until evening because God has promised that He will answer you and feed your soul. And that is why You read the stories of old Christians where Saturday night they clean everything up. And in Scotland it was tradition apparently to when they were done at about 10 o'clock they would gather around the book, the Bible, with their family. And they would begin Saturday night praying for the blessing on the Sunday. That they might enter the Sunday prepared in heart to receive and to submit themselves to the work of the Lord. And so that they might find this God and find that satisfaction and find His blessings. And then it's not formality. Then it's not, it just works. Then it's not just rules that we're following. But then it is so that we can clear the road for our hearts to come to God. Remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. Amen.